Hey, everybody. Welcome to the You Were Born for this podcast with Father John Ricardo. That's me. I'm Father John. I'm the executive director at Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything having to do with transformation in the church. I'm here in this octave of Christmas with my partner in mission here on our team, Mary Guilfoyle. How are you, sister? I'm great, Father John. Merry Christmas. Are you enjoying these Christmas days? <laughs> I am. We are. Yeah, and, and we have, I think... Oh, gosh, we have something I've been dying to talk about since I first came across this story uh, a couple of weeks ago now. And it is, I just find it to be something like God's Christmas gift mm. uh, to someone absolutely and utterly undeserving of it, right? So what's our title? So our title for today's conversation is, You Can't Even Have Him. Oh, I can't wait to break this open. Okay, let's, Father let's John, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, we just want to thank you for these extraordinary days that we're in this time as we uh, give thanks for the gift of your Son, uh, for all that he has done for us and for the entire human race. We thank you for the unfathomable nature of your mercy, which is truly limitless and desires all men and women to be saved. We pray that this conversation would give us all hope Right now, especially for those that we feel uh, most distressed over or are tempted even to despair uh, over their conversions. Lord, just remind us again and again that there is no one like you and that your power and your love and your mercy are beyond all telling. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, Father, you've been wanting to talk about this. Let's dive in. Yeah, so um, so we missed the Feast of Stephen. Right. So uh, we're in the octave of Christmas, and the first day after Christmas, December 26th, is the Feast of Stephen, of course, the first martyr. Um, and it's always struck me like, day after Christmas, boom, first day is a martyr. In fact, we got a whole slew of martyrs this week. And there's a lot of points to that, but one of them is to help us understand that the message of Christmas is not sappy, <laughs> you know, and that following Jesus is going to be difficult. And um, Stephen's often referred to as, you know, like a soldier of the Lord. But for our purposes, uh, what always strikes me about Stephen is Stephen is just this unbelievable agent of reconciliation. He's not just, you know, the first martyr, and he's not just someone who was speaking boldly to the to the Jewish people, but he's the one who the church has often said, in fact, in one of the readings on his feast day uh, in the divine office, he's responsible for Saul's conversion. I mean, obviously Jesus is, right? But uh, I think the way it's often kind of phrased is Stephen, maybe this is the way I phrase it, Stephen gets his quote-unquote revenge on Paul by praying for him. Yeah, I love And the that. first person to greet <laughs> yeah, him in heaven. Yeah, I love that is Stephen, Stephen, the one who he killed, right? Like only God does this. He turns enemies into friends, right? So we didn't get to celebrate Feast of Stephen because it was uh, the Feast of the Holy Family. But we just want to build on that theme of being agents of reconciliation because that's one of the things that the Lord calls us to be in this world, right? Amen, amen. So um, let me just share with you. I, I was out to dinner with some friends the other, uh, the other night, right before Christmas, and we were talking about a trip that we'd made to Poland. So I've been in Poland three times. You've been there a couple of times? What? I've only just been there the one once, time. right? I wanted to go to Auschwitz since I was seven years old. That's how messed up I am. I read mm. Night by um, Ellen Weisel when I was uh, a child. Mm. And I've always just felt drawn there. I've been there three times now. 
I don't ever want to go there. Once again. was enough. <laughs> Once was enough for me to Auschwitz. The, the place is, it, the place is hell on earth. Mm -hmm. It's tangible. There's yeah. a palpable and it's haunted darkness. The first time I was there was uh, Holy Saturday, 1992. It was just terrible. I just, it's so horrific. What the what the Nazis did to the Jewish people and then all the others, right? So by all means, our brothers and sisters, you know, they tried to eliminate them. So 6 million of our Jewish brothers and sisters die in the Holocaust, a number of them in Auschwitz. And then another 6 million on top of that who were caught up in the Nazi war machine, including a great number of priests and uh, religious. So for example, Maximilian Kolbe dies in Auschwitz. Auschwitz, St. Edith Stein, right. or Teresa Benedict of the Cross, dies in Auschwitz, one in 41, the other in 42. Anyway, I'm having dinner with these folks, and we were talking about the conversion of Hans Frank, who we often talk about uh, in some of the presentations that we do. It's in the Rescue Project. Right. That mm -hmm. this man who was the governor general of Poland, who's responsible for several million deaths. Yeah, he was known as the Butcher of Poland. Yeah, the butcher right. of Poland. He repents and he repents because of the incredible testimony or the witness of a man named Father Sixtus O'Connor who leads to his conversion. That's another story. Anyway, this comes up in dinner and um, Nancy, the wife says, uh, yeah, that reminds me of the conversion of the commandant from Auschwitz. And I said, the what? And she says, the conversion of the commandant from Auschwitz. I says, no, I think you're thinking of Hans Frank. She goes, no, I don't think so. I said, I'm pretty sure I would have heard, like me, <laughs> like give me a break, right? I'm pretty sure I would have heard about that if it had happened. Been, she goes, well, about I'll, it. I'll send you what I've got. So she sends me this talk that uh, that one of the sisters from the Shrine of Divine Mercy in, in uh, Poland gave, I think in 2016. And I just started to ball as yes. I'm listening to this. I've like shared it with everybody I know since then. It's mighty. So here's the story. So the commandant of Auschwitz was a man named Rudolf Hesch who is not the other Rudolf Hess, who was like number two to Hitler. So this man was a baptized Catholic. He was raised in a very strict Catholic family, uh, born in 1900. He gets involved in the Nazi party. He renounced his faith uh, through some different circumstances that happened. He thought a priest had betrayed him when he was a young man. And so he just wanted nothing to do with priests in the church again. He's, uh, you know, like identified as somebody with great potential. So Himmler brings him to a couple of the different concentration camps. He's in Dachau, he's in Sachsenhausen, and then he's moved to Auschwitz in 1940. So he would have been the commandant when Kolbe is sentenced to That's death. Right. He would have been the commandant with Edith Stein and goes without saying uh, the, the tragedy of our Jewish brothers and sisters there. I'm just identifying those two people as people that we know who are personal heroes of mine. He knew them. That's my point or at least potentially did. So he's he's there from 40 to 43. And then uh, in Nuremberg, when he's captured, he readily acknowledges that he was responsible for two and a half million deaths, plus another 500,000 deaths from people who died from starvation. But the direct murder of, elimination of, two and a half million people's deaths... He was, he was known as the, the butcher of Auschwitz. He was just, this, this man is, if there's a, a more wicked human being than him, I don't know who it is. I mean, 
I remember being in the on the grounds of Auschwitz. You can see the gallows where they brought him back after Nuremberg and after being tried in Poland where he was hung. And much like with Hans Frank, you know, to my shame, my response to that was good. Um, he, he just implemented so much death. Well, lo and behold, he's captured. And he's, because the, uh, the allies had arranged for those who were responsible for crimes against humanity, were going to be sent back to the countries where they committed the crimes. So he's sent back to Poland to face execution and he knows he's going to die. And he's not afraid of dying. He's afraid of being tortured because he's going back to Poland and he's expecting them to do to him what he did to others. And many of the people where he is uh, in prison had been in Auschwitz. And yet he, he makes note of the fact that in the Polish prisons, I experienced for the first time what human kindness is. He says, despite all that has happened, I have experienced humane treatment, which I could never have expected and which has deeply shamed me. May the facts which are now coming out about the horrible crimes against humanity make the repetition of such cruel acts impossible for all time. So he acknowledges what he's done which is just beyond horrific. His heart begins to soften, and it softens over the treatment that he receives from people who he had... Persecuted. Yeah, right? Agents of reconciliation. This is what God calls us to be. And one day on Good Friday, he hears church bells. This is the week before he's executed, and he calls for a priest to go to confession on Good Friday. At the hearing of bells and at the softening of his heart by the treatment that he received, right? This is, Jesus says, um, love your enemies. That, that This is not romantic. Here's his enemy, right? Although we, what the guards were able to understood is what we've always talked about. They, they saw that he wasn't the real enemy. He had been used horribly by the true enemy, by the devil, Co-opted, right? yep. And so they're treating him with kindness and with love. They can't find a priest to hear his confession who speaks German. He remembers a man who he met, a Polish Jesuit named Vladislav Lone, who in 1940, they had arrested all of the Jesuits in the house in, I think it was in Krakow. He was gone that day. So he comes home, Father Lone comes home from wherever he was that day. All his brothers are gone. He finds out they're in Auschwitz. He goes to Auschwitz. Imagine this. The guy, the guy goes he to Auschwitz. He sneaks into the camp. Who would, who would do that? Yeah, like he breaks into Auschwitz. The love of his brothers. The guards find him. They bring him to Hesh, and he says, I want to die with my brothers. <laughs> like, give me a break, right? And Hesh is so blown away by his bravery, he sends him out. He kicks him out he of lets Auschwitz. Him go. So he saves he his says, life. He says, go back. Right. Let's him go unharmed. Saves the life of this guy. Boom. Six, I think it's seven years later now. I think it's 1947. On that day, Hesh remembers Lone's name, writes it down, gives it to the guards, and says, find this man. So they find this man, Father Lone, who he spared from, you know, earthly death now becomes the means by which God rescues this man from eternal death. So Lone comes, here's his confession. He makes an act of faith once again and comes back into the church. The next day he comes back, receives communion, and is just weeping on the floor, according to the testimony of the guards. And oh, by the way, 
Father Lone, when Hesh is trying to find him, happened to be serving as the chaplain at the Shrine of Divine Mercy, where St. Faustina was, or where she had lived before she died. That's where he was, in front of the image which Jesus had told Faustina to paint. Right. And he comes and he becomes the means by which the blood and water rushes out upon him and he's restored. So why the title of this episode? Here's who God is. Every time I've been praying about this, it's as if Jesus is taunting the devil to say, not even that man is yours. You can't even have him this man who was basically the commandant of hell on earth, even he, I will rescue and you will go empty handed. That's how crazy the God is who became man so as to rescue us from sin and death. Like God truly desires all men, even men and women who have done unimaginably wicked things, even them. He desires to be saved. You know what? You know, Father John, it's, this is such an overwhelming story when you first shared it with us. Uh, I think we were all just so deeply touched and it's, it's somewhat challenging to even talk about it because it's hard to get your head around the fact that it, this is probably the most profound conversion story I've ever heard in my life, that mercy, the mercy of God kisses the merciless the 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 historic atrocity of what happened in world war 2 where mercy didn't exist god was writing this beautiful story of rescue like as you know just just go back and think about you know where father alone was found like only god can write this story and you read it and you see god's handprints all over it, this merciless place, this man who was merciless in everything that he did, repents, asks God's forgiveness, and is restored and rescued. The hope that that should cause to explode in all of us is nothing less than massive, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I I, I think I I'm this the story so moves me. For a couple of reasons. One, the extremes to which God will go to get all of us home, right? It's almost like a divine conspiracy. Oh, by the way, the prison where Hesh was being held, where Lone comes and hears his confession, mm -hmm. just happened to be the birthplace of a guy named John Paul II. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just it's an epic story of rescue. All epic. of the events around this to get this man home. And, you know, God isn't, he's not just speaking words when he says, I do not desire the death of the wicked. I desire the repentance. I want people to pay. We want people to pay. God doesn't, which is just extraordinary, right? And so this is, I want to make sure people don't misunderstand this. This is not at all to minimize, I mean, the horror of what happened. What it's to say is God's mercy is beyond all telling and as one person said, even if a soul is black as soot, let mm. it not despair. For God's detergent 
gives sparkling results. I love that. That's mighty. Here's this man. So the second thing is how many of us are concerned about loved ones? Every, every, every one. Every parent, right? Every one of us. Or we're looking at people in the world and we're going, either I'm afraid for the conversion or the return to the church of those that I love in my family or among my friends or the people in the world. And in this story, I mean, a good grief, if Rudolf Hesch can convert... God's probably got a way of breaking into other people's lives. Right. We should never we should never be overcome with hopelessness or discouragement or how much time it takes. It's almost as if, you know, we can hear the Lord say in our hearts, I will get them. That's right. I will get them. That's right. So just hold the incredible nature of this story up in front of you. If you're feeling tempted to despair or are just depressed over the state of a loved one right now. Like the Lord has those we love. Trust me, he has them. And finally, back to Stephen. Much like the church says Stephen was the first one to greet Paul when he came into heaven. You got to know that Maximilian Kolbe and Edith Stein, Stein. Yes. who were murdered by this At man, his hands. right? They were there at the gates to greet him. Embracing their brother. And they called him brother. Welcome home, brother. This is what God is calling you and me to be right now in the world in which we're living. He's calling us to be agents of reconciliation. And stories like this, or stories of the conversion of Hans Frank, or so many other stories, the conversion of Paul, they remind us God does things like this. The the world's longing for unity. It can't create it. It can't deliver. Politics can't deliver. Law can't deliver. Only God can. Why? Because only God can change the human heart. Right. He changed the hearts of those guards who were in the prison where Hesh was, who by all the world's accounts should have beaten him to death, but they didn't, right? Because God moved their hearts to reflect his love and his mercy to a man who the world would say, and I would say, didn't deserve mercy. But God said, nobody deserves mercy. That's why it's a mm -hmm. gift. And the Lord's putting us into the world right now. He's created us to be alive right now in the world right now so that we too, by the power of his spirit, would be agents of reconciliation, bringing healing and restoration and reconciliation to a world and to a people and to a culture that is desperately longing for it and has no hope for it apart from the gospel. That's what we're celebrating right now. You know, one of, I'm just going to invite everybody to do what we have done when your friends uh, shared this story with you. Share this story broadly because the impact that it's had on us and our family and our friends has been just remarkable. Share it with everybody. Yeah, God, as Father Patrick Schultz said in the Christmas card that we uh, s spoke about last week, God, you're just crazy. crazy. You're just crazy. Like, absolutely, utterly crazy. And he's crazy with love for his creatures, no matter what they've done. So do not be afraid. God is with you. And you were born for this.